We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Open up your Bibles to Romans 7. And this morning we'll be in verses 1 through 6. While you're turning there, let me just make a few quick observations. One big one is that Romans 7 is in between chapter 6 and chapter 8. Isn't that pretty insightful? I've been to seminary. Isn't that great? Um, But for real, like Romans 7, friends, um, sometimes people forget about it. Like they love 6 and they love 8. And then they're like, what? 7? What does that mean? Okay. Probably one of the most famous verses in 7 is verse 19. Let your eyes just go down to 19. We're not covering that this morning. Um, I'll read it for you. 7.19 says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. <laughs> okay? Have you guys heard that verse before? Right. Very relatable, isn't it? Uh, Paul, the apostle, a believer, struggled in the Christian life and was open with us. And so um, uh, even for the next few weeks and, and, and months as we continue in on Romans, uh, our design team made this, this banner right here. And then we're going to change this one every chapter so that you can understand what's going on in Paul's argument. And so this chapter really introduces the struggle in the Christian life. We've said that 6 through 8 is about sanctification. And we're going to get this, this glimpse of what it's like the inner workings of the soul in desires and motives and how to walk with God. And so Paul has led us up to this point. And if, if you have said so far, like, yeah, Paul, I've been tracking with your argument. Yes, I'm a Christian. Like, all right, you've convinced me that it's not of my own righteousness that I'm a believer, it's Christ's righteousness that has been placed upon me, that He's given me it, and I stand in, like under Him now, not condemned. If you're there, if you've, if you've like willingly submitted to yourself and submitted to the Lord and said, I'm dead with like my old self, and I'm, I'm, I'm done with that life, and I want to turn and follow you. And you've understood so far like justification, one through five, salvation. You've understood sin, chapter six, being buried in that and raised to walk in the newness of life. And now I know you can certainly identify with the struggle of the Christian life. And there's some great news in these first six verses. What does it mean to struggle in the Christian life, pursue holiness, and obey God? What does the struggle look like? That's what we're going to dive into, especially in the next three weeks. Are you ready? 
All right, buckle up. Here we go. The title this morning is The New Way. So if you're taking notes, we're trying to dive into this new way of living. Just a quick story. We had for years this steak knife in our house that was bent at the tip. Okay? And Ruthie and I are in charge of the dishes. I wash, she dries. And uh, this ridiculous steak knife tore up all of our dish rags and those like like scrubber pads because it was it was bent and it drove us bonkers. It was like just it was just such a little annoying thing, but I never did anything about it until we were on quarantine and I had a few extra hours to spare, right? And I took that knife and I said, I am dealing with this knife. Okay? I'm I'm done with this this way of living. And I took it down in my basement and I took a hammer and I put it on a flat surface and I went surface and I went bang, bang, two hits. Done. I know, isn't that great? We have a perfectly working knife now, a new way of, of cutting our food, a new way of washing the dish rags, no longer have snags on them. It is a beautiful thing. Why in the world didn't we do that earlier? Why did I like just, why was I okay living with that knife? Once you receive Christ, friends, there is this new way to live. And Christian, why would you ever go back to that old way? Two points this morning. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to talk about the old way. The old way. And verses 4 through 6, we'll talk about the new way. And just as a a bit of motivation, uh, my family and I, we went on a walk yesterday in the snow. We took both of our dogs. One of them, as you know, is a coon hound named Vince Lombardi. And he loves sniffing scents. Like, he tracks, right? And anytime there was like this raccoon track or these deer tracks, he would, and he would follow those tracks. And his nose was like in the snow the whole time, hungry to follow the tracks. He had zeal, okay? Now today, it's a tough text. You got to get your nose in the scriptures and you got to have zeal to follow this argument, okay? So be like Vince. All right, it won't come easily, but just like Jesus says, you got to seek after him. You this morning, as you listen, you've got to seek out this truth. You've got to follow along closely because it will bring, as Romans 8 says, life and peace. All right, so chapter 7, here we go. Let's track it. It introduces the idea of your relationship with the law. Let's read verse 1 together. Here's the principle first. And then he's going to illustrate it in verses 2 and 3. Verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. Let's just stop right there. Okay? All right, what is the law? What is the law? When God rescued the Israelites, His people out of Egypt, and brought them into uh, First Sinai, He spoke to him and he said, if you obey my voice, 
If you obey my voice and if you keep my covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people. Okay? And if I could frame that conversation in a, in a question format, it would be something like this. Um, what does God require from his children? And the answer would be this. Ready? Perfect obedience and wholehearted devotion. What does God require? What does his law require? Perfect obedience and full or wholehearted devotion. <laughs> Honest reaction? Oh, I know. Thank you. Yikes. Like, okay, that's a problem. Because that's not me. Fast forward to the New Testament, okay? Don't go there, but let me just tell you about it, okay? Matthew 22, just jot it down. 37 through 40, uh, this is called the Great uh, Commandment. Watch how Jesus summarizes the law. We're, we're grasping, what is the law again? Okay. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the great first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Depend, watch this, all the law and the prophets. Honest reaction? Yikes. That's a problem. I'm not sure if I can live up to that. Right? And if we were just to go one layer deeper with the honest reaction, it would be like, I can't live up to that. And if I were to be honest, I would say all of that loss so far makes me a little anxious. And it reveals my imperfections and my shortcomings. <laughs> and that's the point. This is what the law does. It exposes. You see, the law is, is, a, is beautiful. We say it's a window into God's holiness. But it is also like a mirror. And then it shows you that you are not. Let's keep reading. We're in seven one. So it says that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Question mark. Okay, so the law... The requirement, we'll say, for humanity is perfect obedience to God. And it is binding on everyone, listen to this, for their whole life, for as long as they live. Okay? And so there it is. So verse 1, um, Paul starts off with this principle. He says that you have to uh, live your whole life with the knowledge that you'll never measure up. <laughs> Do you like that? Isn't that great? Great to hear this Sunday morning. You know, the sun is shining. And then old Pastor Newman comes on in and actually reads and explains the Bible that says that you don't measure up. That you're not enough. And it's like, it is a little bit like a wet blanket. Like, you should feel the weight of that. Like, oh. So like, I have to... Just live a good life, try really hard, and you're telling me that I'll never 
achieve the righteous standards that God requires? Yeah. And so, so far, that should be very draining. It's like, ugh, man. A quick story. And this is, this is a story that you feel how much it drains a person, okay? In World War II, um, there were prisoners in a Nazi concentration camp in Hungary. And they were forced to work in this factory. And the Allies came along and they bombed this factory. Okay, the Nazi soldiers um, uh, dictated to all the prisoners that they were to pick up the rubble um, and shovel it up, you know, put it in wheelbarrows, whatever, and move it to the other side of the camp. Uh, and after after they completed the project, the Nazi soldiers uh, looked at them and said, all right, your next project is to move all of that rubble, all of that pile um, back to where it once was. And so they, they had to. It was like this oppressive act. And after they moved it back, the soldiers said, okay, now your job is to move it back to where it was before. And day after day after day, they moved the same dirt, the same rubble, the same pile. And not only was it an exhausting experience, but it, it just depleted them. And day after day, after they were working, pretty soon, um, pretty soon, like slaves would throw themselves in front of gunfire and throw themselves and, and just commit suicide because they were so done. They had no purpose in their life. They were just following this regiment, following this, this drag, this way of living. They just were moving dirt piles to the point where death was preferable. And that's what it feels like to live under the law. So the question comes, is there a way out from under this law? Okay? And Paul gives us a clue right at the end of verse 1. Let your eyes go there, underline it, circle it. It says, as long as he lives... The law is binding. So you could ask, is death the only escape to the law? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You must die in order to come out of the law that condemns. Okay? Now you guys are doing a great job. I know this is a lot, right? You guys have been at your jobs been at the workplace, you've been doing laundry, you know, cooking, things like that, and all of a sudden you get this like full dump truck backed up on you on the law, okay? Hang in there, it gets really sweet in a minute. But first, Paul is going to illustrate this law and what it's like and how you can be released from it through death. And the illustration is marriage, okay? So let's go on in there, verse number two and three. I'll read it for us. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is set free, or she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, 
she is not an adulteress. Okay, so let's just take a deep breath for a second. This passage, these two verses, are not an exhaustive concordance on divorce and remarriage. Okay, there are two verses used as an illustration to talk about how to become free from the law. So this is what basically Paul is saying, okay? If you are married, you have entered into the law of marriage. And you are under that law until one of you dies, okay? That's why we say when we get married, till death do us part. That's the under the law, you commit to that spouse till one of them dies. And once one of them dies, then that spouse is free. It releases you from the the law of marriage or your marriage covenant. And then we would say that that person is, is free to marry another person according to the law. Now, if that's an illustration, what exactly is Paul saying here? Okay. Paul's using it to, to give us a, a clear picture or an analogy demonstrating to us that death really does change one's relationship to the law. I'll say it again. Death changes your relationship to the law. Okay? All right, here's another way to look at it. All right, kids, this, is, this one's for you, okay? Um, so let's say... Let's say um, your dad is driving a hearse, okay? Do you guys know what a hearse is? It's those big, long cars that carry dead bodies, okay? Let's say that's your dad's job, all right? Have you seen them before? It's not a yellow school bus. It's like one of those just big, long cars. You put a casket in it, put a dead body in it. It's the ones that like lead the way right after the cops on the way to funerals and things like that, okay? All right, so let's say your dad's driving a hearse, okay? And he is breaking the law by speeding, all right? And the cop pulls your dad over, okay? So the hearse takes a little while to pull over. Stops, cops pulls up and he goes, you know, sir, you're speeding. You were really speeding. Get on out of the car, all right? Give me your license, registration, boom, slap some handcuffs on him, puts him up against the car, okay? But then, watch this, the cop also goes in the back of the hearse, opens up that big old door, opens up the casket, kids, okay? Pulls out the dead guy, starts talking to him and says, sir, you also broke the law, you were in the car, and by default, you were speeding too. Straight up, put some handcuffs on him and puts him on top of the car. <laughs> Are you with me? Are you following these two illustrations? Right? I, tr I've, I tried to insert it so that you would see the ridiculousness of it. Is the dead guy, is he, is that necessary according to the law? No. Why? He died. He died. He, he's no longer under the law. It's ridiculous to enforce the law to a dead dude. You can quote me on that.
death changes your relationship to the law. Now, if you've been tracking with Paul's argument up till now, you'll catch the language that Paul is using. He's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about Christians because we learn in chapter 6 that those who belong to Jesus, who have received Christ, have died. And they've died and they've been buried with Christ and they've been raised to walk in the newness of life. They're dead to the things. They're dead to the law. And so when he's talking about those who are living, he's talking about non-believers. Christians are ones who are are dead and who are now living in Christ. Non-believers are just living. They're like shells walking around, but they are still under the law. They're condemned by it. It's binding to them. Let's just step away for a sec, okay? Uh, Herein lies the tension or the problem or uh, what Christianity has been accused of for the last 2,000 years, especially in the, in the new, uh, early church, okay? Um, the problem is this. Hey, if I've died to myself and if I live for Jesus, if I'm buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life, then the law has no authority over me. It has no binding agency upon me. Does that mean that I am anti-law? Uh, the fancy word that, that the early Christians were tagged with, tagged with was uh, antinomianism. They were anti-nomos. Nomos means law. They were against the law. That's not good. We don't, we don't like people who rebel or are against the law that brings order. And so to just cut straight quick to you, no, Christians are not anti-law. When you come to Christ, you are taken out of the condemnation of the law because Christ lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and he fulfilled the law. And he did it on your behalf so that his righteousness would meet the righteous requirements or the standards of God the Father. So there's a new way now. If you have Christ, then you have his righteousness and you are equipped and empowered now to serve the law. And the new way, friends, is by the Spirit. So let's talk about the new way. Verse 4. That was the old way. Here's the new way. The new way must come through death. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So you've died to the oppression of the law and the guilt that you once had gone. You'll never be able as a non-believer to live up to the law. You're now out from under it. Do you see the tense change in verse 4? Look at it with those eyes. 
It says, you have also died, past tense. So there's something different about you. Last week, we talked about it with conversion. When someone crosses over from, from like death to life, they're intrinsically changed. There's a newness. And Paul just jumps into and reminds his listeners of the old way in verse 5. Like, hey, hey, this was so awesome. This new way is so sweet. Let me just remind you of the wretchedness of the old way real quick. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. All right, quick story about two guys. One guy's name was Augustine. One guy's name was Rousseau. One guy's from Africa. One guy's from France, okay? Both guys, when they were in their teens, uh, decided to rally up some friends and steal stuff. Okay, Augustine stole pears. Rousseau stole asparagus. Who steals asparagus, right? I know, it's like, whatever, but just hang with me, okay? All right, both of them, um, while they, they grabbed friends and stole, both of them didn't need to steal. Augustine had a, a, his own pear garden, but he went to another pear garden that they weren't as good as pear, as pears and weren't as big. So he wasn't greedy. He just wanted to. Rousseau didn't need asparagus. He was just doing fine. Both of them stole. Both of them write accounts later in life about what they did. Both of them, uh, both of them wrote books called Confessions. I don't know. Has anyone ever read Augustine's Confessions? Good book. And both of them have detailed accounts analyzing the inner workings of their soul, the struggle. What happened? Why did I do that? Now, all of those similarities that you just heard between Augustine and Rousseau come to a crashing difference in their books. Rousseau records his actions like this. He said that there's, there was a dominating force externally upon me that caused me to steal. In, a, in this language of today, he would say, the culture around me caused my evil actions. Did you hear that? Uh, church, remember, one of our jobs as leaders of the church is to equip you um, for the work of ministry. And we say and try to say often that discernment is not just the ability to discern right from wrong, but it's the ability to discern right from almost right. Now, is the term peer pressure a legitimate term? Can uh, our behaviors be influenced by social pressures. Sure. But listen to Augustine's account of his stealing of the pears. Augustine blames himself for his sin. He talked about prior coming to Christ, his heart was wicked and it delighted in sin, which would explain for the laughing afterwards. 
both parties just laughed about stealing things. Augustine took those pears and chucked them to a bunch of pigs and just threw them in the fields. He just delighted in the sin. Why? Because the heart does what the heart wants. And Augustine says, my heart, my heart's desires wanted to break the law. Ha, there's the law. Sweet. Let's break it. That's what verse 5 is saying. The law arouses in you the desire of the flesh to bear fruit for death. You want to know what is the root cause of all of your struggles, your strife, your relationship tensions, your quarrels at home, your marriage fights? You want to know what the, the root of it is? James 4.1. It's up here for you. Ready? What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. It's a heart issue. It comes from within, not out there. So what's got to happen? Something's got to change in here. Amen? We can't just manipulate or change all out here. It's got to happen from within. There's got to be a new way. You've got to change your, your loyalties, your, your affections. It's got to be a heart allegiance to something else. You've got to belong to a different person. And once you do that, once you are converted, there's a new way to live. And there's crazy hope in that. So Christian... Listen up. Like there's a new sheriff in town, okay? There's a new agency that works upon, that, that has domain, authority, power. There's a new binding agent to your life. And that should give you great comfort, security, that you're not a free agent out there. But because you belong to Him, there's a new law now. And He has you within His palm of His hand. And He helps you now wage war against those earthly passions. Woo! Romans 7, verse 6. Here we go. And here's the best part of it. But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And not of the old way of the written code. Ah, oh, isn't that great? There's a new way. So remember, remember the old way? Remember that feeling that you had? Even when you heard me say, there's a standard, you can't live up to it, but uh, you got to just deal with it and try your best. Remember that feeling of just like hopelessness? That feeling that, that those prisoners had of moving the pile back and forth and back and forth is, will this ever end? And the Bible says, yes, you must die and there's hope in the new life of the Christian. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus met the righteous requirements by his perfect obedience to the law. Without sacrificing his full deity, he came down, he took on flesh 
and he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He became man in order to purchase a bride for his own possession. And he fulfilled the law and paid the penalty of death that us lawbreakers owed. So the announcement of the gospel for the non-believer is this, that if you confess to God, even this morning, this isn't just hypothetical, this is in real time and space, now, like if you confess to God that you broke God's law, and the righteous requirements of perfect obedience and full devotion to Him, if you're like, I just slaughtered it. There's no way I could do that, Lord. And I need your son, Jesus. If you trust in Jesus's righteousness and not your own, then you will have your sins forgiven and you will be saved. Have you done that? Have you said, it's Jesus's righteousness and not mine? And I need an alien righteousness, Martin Luther called it. I need something outside of myself to come in, to change myself, so that through Christ, I can now live according to the law, not under it. I can actually be empowered to serve it now. So, for the rest of our time here, we've got about 10 more minutes. I'm going to bullet point. I'm going to fly through these things. These are like five Really quick things that describe what it's like to live in the new life of the Spirit, okay? And I am not in a rush because we're going to get a full dose of this in Romans 8. But since this is the first time as we've been going through Romans that it mentions the third person of the Godhead, the Spirit, we just got to like bask in the new like news of the Spirit, okay? And that's why Joe just did a great job. He just... He read the text and selected songs to like be a service to the Word of God so that we would remember that we could like welcome the Spirit of God in our life in any area of life. Thanks. It's great. Number one, here we go. The new way, you got a new master, and it's not mystical. New master, not mystical. Read verse 6 again with me, okay? Some of you see the Spirit, and it's contrasted with the old way of the written code. And like there might be two reactions to that word Spirit, okay? Some of you might go like this, Oh, that makes me really nervous. Because I've met people who talk like this, the Holy Ghost, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that makes me nervous. And so I'm going to stay away from any talk about the Spirit. And then some of you react like this. Oh, I am a visual learner. Written, written code. That sounds a lot better. Um, and so I'm going to do that. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose the old way. Because it's not weird. Um, so I don't, I don't, I just don't know how to grab on to all that spirit stuff. So just hold on a sec. If you're at any end of those spectrums, okay, 
Remember this, that the law is binding to the living. You have the Spirit now, and He now is your new master. Not sin. And you're bound to Him forever. So the talk of the Spirit is a very safe and secure discussion. You're free, but you have a new authority, a new master. And this master, catch this, is not confusing and he's not difficult to understand. The Spirit does not bring disorder or confusion. He brings order and clarity. And this master of ours, the Holy Spirit, Guess what he did for us? He was the author and inspired 40 different writers to write an account of the redemption and story of God through a scope of 1,500 years, through 66 different books, by giving us clarity of the Bible. The Holy Spirit wanted us to walk with God in very clear, not mystical ways, but through the Scriptures. Isn't that great news? So through the Word, the Spirit opens your eyes and helps you walk with God. Through the Bible, you can be led by the Spirit of God. So this new way of living by the Spirit, it's not weird, friends. It's wonderful because God empowers you now to fulfill his law. That's number one. A new master, not mystical. Number two, this new way is a person, not a program. Okay? So, so far, like, okay, maybe this was your introduction to Christianity. Okay, I gave my life to Christ, and I guess now I got to, like, do stuff and change my whole schedule and, like... um do good and not do bad. Is that, is that the paradigm of growing in Christ? And we would say, oh, no. remember, you died to that way of guilt-driven, guilt-thinking. You died to that way. And now you've been given a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. And He wants to work, and He's promised to work in your life. To help you. So, Christianity is not just this, well, I guess I'll just start coming to church on Sunday mornings. I'll join a small group. I'll start setting up chairs and every book that Newman suggests, I'll read it. I guess that's my Christian life, right? (laughs) Nope. It's not just a program to reveal your shortcomings. That's not Christianity. You'll never measure up. That's why we sing like that our that Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and death. Like on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, including myself and my righteous acts, it's sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So there's a new way. And it is with the Spirit. And it enables you to pray something like this, Lord, Lord, here are my shortcomings. Like, would your spirit, which is at work within me, help me grow? Would it help me follow your commands? I'm free from the guilt 
Lord, would you help me experience that freedom that I want and I want to grow in you? And then the Spirit works in your life. That's a person, not a program. Number three, internal, not external. So if you have the Spirit, now you have this internal fuel in your life, this internal desire, not external, right? It's the, the Puritans call it heat. You have this heat, this like fire that is burning in your heart now, that is longing. It motivates you from within. It leads and guides and directs. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. It convicts, it comforts, all those things. We're going to get into all of those. So I'll say it just conversely, although good friends, although good influences are a good thing, you must have the Spirit. External influences on our lives pale in comparison, we're talking about strength, to the Spirit of God in our lives. That's why parents, we must pray for conversion for our kids, that the Spirit of God would change their very hearts, that they would be obedient from the heart, we learned last week, and not just external rules, 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 rules. That's why we parent to the heart, and we share the gospel with our kids. We don't just assume that they're Christians. And we call them to believe in the gospel, and when they come to the Lord, then God transforms their hearts. We disciple them to obey and glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. It is the most beautiful thing and the most difficult thing that you'll ever do. Be a parent. <laughs> but it is the most joyful and it's the best thing. It is the best thing. Number four. Life-giving, not draining. Remember, we're talking about the new way. What's it like? The old way was so draining. But life, by, of, in, through. We're going to learn all those prepositions in the next month or two. All those things is so life-giving. So this is the old way. Ready? I should do that. But now the new way says, like, the Spirit like empowers you and grants you the ability and desire to say, I want to do that. It gives you hope in your actions. Draining is of the old way. In the kind of way that moves like piles from here to here to here to here and back again. You just want to like be done with it and say, there's no purpose. But the new way is so life-giving. So let me just give you some practical like pastoral counsel here, okay? The way of the Spirit described by Jesus in the New Testament says you must seek first the kingdom of God. He says seek, like you got to press into, you got to try, you got to like yearn, okay? And so I would say, friends, when an opportunity presents itself to you, slow down your yeses. Because we might be in the habit of doing because we just should. Operating in the old law of guilt or people-pleasing. 
If you slow down your yeses, it gives you time to seek first the kingdom of God, to press into him and say, Holy Spirit, are you leading me to do it? Now you watch. It will be so life-giving to you if you slow down your yeses. If you stop saying yes to everything, you might need to say no to a few things. Say yes to a few things that God's Spirit is, is leading you to do. I'm telling you, you will have life and peace. It is so freeing and so fun. <laughs> That's number four. Here's the last one. You guys have done great. Number five, serving, not sulking. Serving, not sulking. These five things will be talked about in our community groups. If you haven't jumped into a community group yet, talk to Dave Zender back there. Or uh, if you're a leader, a community group leader, go ahead and wave your hand. Wave your hand over here, here, a couple over here, right here, right here, me. Um, and so talk to us, jump into it. We've got to talk about each of these five things and what they mean in your life and how to walk with in step with the Spirit. But this number five, serving, not sulking. Remember the word about you know, 10, 15 minutes ago, antinomianism? Are Christians anti-law? We said no, because the Christian is set free from the guilt and condemnation of the law and is actually given a purpose. And here we learn that it is to serve, to follow the law. You can actually now, with the Spirit, be a slave to righteousness and follow God's commands. It's tremendous hope for the believer. It's not just like serve ambiguously, like, oh, I'm just going to serve. It's to serve the law. So Christians, because of Jesus, they can fulfill the law of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have to sulk anymore. They don't have to say, I can't do that. I can't do this. I just, I can't do the, I, I, I can't. Because of God's promises to us, we can stand confidently. I know it's scary, but we can be confident. We can say, because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, we can follow the law of God and love him and love others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are excited. We're excited about these truths. And we're thankful that we're no longer under the law that condemned and oppressed. We're thankful that you are holy and that we see your perfection and your standard. And Lord, we thank you that you've provided a way through Jesus Christ. You've purchased us for your own possession. We thank you for Christ's righteousness. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we lift up the Godhead this morning, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're so thankful that all three persons are at work and care for us and love us and desire us and are zealous for us to commune with you have each an agency to work in our life. And so lead us now, we pray.
Lord, if there's any waywardness within us, would your spirit cleanse us from that unrighteousness and make us a vessel, a tool in the hand of you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As a part of just this service and a chance to respond to God's word, we'll ask you to stand. And if any point throughout the, the song you need prayer, um, have no fear. Like, uh, grab a friend, grab a community group leader, whatever. Grab your spouse and say, this is how the Spirit of God is working in my life. I need, I need prayer. I need help. And I need to walk with Him in this way.